at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Welcome to episode 68 of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. I am your host, Dominic Lanza, and tonight I'm joined by Mr. EJ Fagan. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody, and Happy New Year to you, EJ. How's uh, how's your 2017 treating you so far? I am very sore. Uh, I uh, as, as a PhD student, I don't get a lot of uh, physical activity, and so when my girlfriend and I decided to play a little bit of baseball, or, or at least uh, go to the batting cages for, for an hour and like play catch for half an hour, uh, it put a lot of strain on my legs. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a, a great video that my girlfriend took of my amazing, horrible, unathletic swing, um, even though I still, I still think I popped a couple of uh, decent home runs with the terrible swing. Now, were you doing slow pitch at the batting cages? Oh yeah, slow pitch. So, so it was a it was a softball machine. Okay, and it wasn't fast pitch, but it wasn't like lobbing it in the air kind of stuff either. It does something kind of a little bit in between. That actually makes me just want to go to the batting cages. Although, I'm assuming you went to batting cages down in Texas. I did, uh, and it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Even though it, I felt a little inadequate, because in the cage next to me was like a I'm going to say ten year old kid uh, with a coach who had this like sweet you know future major league swing down. He just hitting balls off a tee the whole time, and my girlfriend <laughs> and I are sitting there like literally breathing hard from swinging a, swinging a bat for half an hour each. Um, uh, one piece of advice: if you haven't batted uh, in a couple of years, like me, I don't think I've batted probably since 2011, 2010. Uh, bring batting gloves. Uh, because it uh, it still hurts after uh, using one of the crappy batting cage bats for for, for that long. Uh, I got some pretty gnarly blisters. Yeah, and if you know of any uh, good indoor batting cages on Long Island that I can head to, let me know because all the outdoor places around me are already closed for the winter and they won't be opening up until, I think, April. The one closest to me is only open from April to September. So I'm jealous of you. Blisters and soreness all included. But uh, we're, we're firmly in the middle of the stretch of the offseason where nothing really happens. Uh, you have Zips Productions coming out, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, we have Prospect Rankings coming out um, with Baseball Prospectus and Baseball America, the two big ones, doing them in their own separate orders. Um, and I guess the Hall of Fame voting is the other big one, while free agents wait for their shoe to drop. Um, but the whole, I don't even know when we'll really find out about the hall of fame voting. I know ballots were due to be postmarked by December 31st. I can't While remember talking. I will, I will look this up. I'm pretty sure we usually know by around Martin Luther King day, who's getting in, but you know, given that major league baseball's writers association still uses the archaic mail method, Snail mail methods for uh, sending in ballots and God knows how they tabulated on an abacus, maybe. Um, I don't know how long it'll take everything to get there and everything to be counted. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm looking up when we figured it out last uh, last year, uh, just while we're at it. Um, but you know, I, I think I think it could be a good year for Mike Messina. I, I'm hearing some good buzz about Mike Messina out there. Yeah, he's been added to a, a decent amount of ballots so far. At one point, there was um, I think it was something like 14 ballots added him. 14 people added him, which isn't enough to get him in, but it's a good. You, you got to start somewhere. Um, and he's, I mean, unless you really want to count Tim Raines as a, as a former Yankee in there, which he is, um, you know, Mussina is probably the best person you think of as a Yankee with a chance to get into the hall of fame on the ballot right now. Yeah, um, I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, Tim Raines, I think is, I mean, he's, he's, I kind of think of him, think of him as a. As a, as a you know a Montreal Expo, but um, I also think Clemens has a decent shot. I think at some point there'll be like a like like, like Clemens won't won't inch into the Hall of Fame. There'll be a surge, um, and it, it seems like there's some some surge for him in Bonds this year too. Well, I'm um, actually I think um, a Yankee. Yeah, I actually just pulled up uh, the great Ryan Thibodeau's uh, ballot spreadsheet that he has. He's at. At not Mr. Tibbs, T-I-B-B-S, on Twitter. Right now, he has uh, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds both sitting at around 69%. Hashtag nice. Uh, on the ballots. Uh, Musina is at 61.4%. Um, he's gained a total of 11 ballots now because he's lost some too. But as, if it was done today... If the thirty-eight two percent of ballots that he has collected were indicative of who's getting in, we'd have a uh, Bagwell, Vlad Guerrero, Tim Raines, Pudge Rodriguez getting in, and uh, Bonds is at sixty-nine percent. Clemens is at sixty-nine percent. Hoffman's gained a decent yes. amount of ground. He's at seventy-two point nine percent, and uh, Posada is actually in danger of dropping off. So last year we learned uh, who was voted in on January sixth. But this year, the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, will be announcing on January 18th. Uh, so it uh, it's going to be a little later than normal. All right. So right around Martin Luther King Day, I actually heard right. Yeah, day but, I take my comprehensive exam. Uh, it will be a fun day where uh, you know, I, have no, I have no contact and no, no, uh, no access to phones or computers for the entire day that uh, <laughs> all these guys get in. It'd be – I'd be pretty excited if they ended up getting – another three or four people in at a shot because there's so many people on the ballot who are deserving. We don't need to linger on this because we've talked about it before, but if it did end up with a Bagwell, Guerrero range and Pudge Rodriguez getting in, that'd be a nice way to clear out, you know, slam dunk guys and fringe guys who most think should be in. Yeah. I really do enjoy the debates over the borderline cases more. And when you have a, when you have to fill up a 10 person ballot, if you, you, you know, for with people who deserve, you know, you can't really spend a lot of time talking about Jorge Posada, which, you know, I, I think there's a good case for Jorge Posada. I don't think it's a slam dunk case. And I think that uh, I'd like to debate that. But we there's no space to debate that because we're still trying to just, just show everybody, like, by, you know, that, by the way, Edgar Martinez deserved, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if we can, if you can clear out, like, I'm thinking, like, you know, you, you know, Bagwell, Clemens, Bonds, Hoffman, um, you know, and Messina shilling reigns in two years or so. I mean, that really does leave a lot of space for that debate. 
you know my biggest issue with the Hall of Fame voting right now? It's really stupid, but I've I've moved on from voters, you know, being largely inconsistent with what they choose to leave people out for. I don't understand how you could vote for Bonds and not Clemens or vice versa. Mm. Because oh, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, there, the, the I mean, case the case for and against is exactly exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing you could say is Bonds is admitted to, I guess, taking steroids, but he he never inhaled. Um, whereas Clemens <laughs> never quite has. But even so, it's just crazy to me because you know it's basically the best hitter of this generation and the best pitcher of this generation. And voting for one but not the other just doesn't make sense to me. I guess maybe Roger Clemens was more of a dick because of the whole <laughs> bat throwing incident. But you know we're also not on the West Coast, and Barry Bonds. Yeah, Barry Bonds is a bit of a dick too. Well, I'm saying he does. Reporter think he was. Yeah, I mean we. That's why I'm saying you know I've never lived on the West Coast, so the perception of him I have is everything that's been on the national scale. Whereas I know more about Clemens's dickishness from you know, the local reports. So if anybody's yeah, listening it, from the Bay area, they might know better. I, I got, I have a proposal for the baseball writers out there. Right. So, you know, we don't want to, we, we want to, you know, show some kind of like slap on the wrist, you know, not acknowledge bonds and Clemens a little bit. Why don't we vote in all of the steroids guys at once? So they each only get like five minutes in Cooperstown. Uh, and then we just, and then we're done with it and we can move on. Right. So we don't have, you know, it's kind of like our, we'll have our eight person induction year, you know, Pudge Rodriguez will get in Clemens bonds. If you want to throw back Jeff Bagwell in, even though he didn't use steroids, as far as we know, um, you know, they, the, all those guys get thrown in and, uh, you know, and we, uh, we put this to bed. I mean, I'm, I'm just hopeful that we'll, we'll start to see, the change happen and with actual inductions instead of just positive trends. And, you know, with these guys sitting at 69%, it seems, you know, barring all the non-public ballots voting against them. And that's why they're not public. Seems like next year, both should get in. Yeah. I mean, for reference, they're at 44 and 45 last year. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, they're getting kind of close. Yeah. They're up 24, 25%. That would be a big bump. If, if that's a representative sample, it may not be. Yeah, because most of the people who release their ballots are people who are more uh, electronically and social media inclined, though. I have seen a lot of old school beat writers releasing their ballots, so I, I hope well, I it is After this year, they'll all be public. Yeah, probably. they will. Yeah. Um, and that might scare people straight. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't want the wrath of the internet to come down, come down on you. Uh, so, moving on to the topic at hand, because I'm sure we're going to have this a very similar discussion in about two weeks now. Um, yesterday, Fangraphs released uh, Dan Simborski's Zips Productions uh, for the Yankees. And uh, I recommend that everybody take a look at the post because there's way too many names for us to talk about in here. And it has explanations of the methodologies and everything. And you can see who these players compare to, which is actually my favorite part of the zips projections. And when a baseball prospectus drops Pakoda, they do something similar. Um, just because I think for everybody numbers are one thing, but people just love comps for better or mm-hmm. for worse. Even when and, and you see a comp to somebody who you have no idea who they are, which is and the, the um, glorious. 
one thing I love about about or I prefer about these comps as opposed to like prospect comps is they don't have like the racist angle to it. Like Zips doesn't know that Tanaka's a Japanese guy uh, when you know the the random scout's going to compare him to Hideo Nomo or something just because. Um, so you know I I, I uh, yeah no, I I definitely enjoy those comps. Does Zips give us more than one comp? No, Zips gives one comp. I don't know if it goes more in depth on ESPN Insider or. On Zimborski's website, uh, I don't even know if he sells them or anything, but no, I know. I think Pakoda gives three. Zips only gives the number one comp, mm. which I really can't stop focusing on Didi Gregorius as being Jeff Treadway, who I have literally never heard of until right now. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't actually heard of Chris Hoyles, which is Gary Sanchez's number one comp. until, And then I looked at his stats and I'm like, you know, I'll take it. Um, yeah, I remember good. Chris Hoyles because he was on the Orioles when they were good in the mid to late 90s. Mm. Come on, EJ. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I don't remember that. Um, I, don't, I don't remember the anybody but Cal Ripken on that team. At least, <laughs> do we want to? Um, do we want to do the uh, the outrage that Stacy would be showing right now at two Yankees being comped to Kevin Millar? Oh wow! Well, yeah. Well, they're Matt Holiday and Mark Teixeira, so there's really only one Yankee. Yeah, but still, his name shows up twice. And <laughs> have you seen? Okay. Uh, my so what, if you had to look down this list of comps, who's your favorite comp? I got a clear one. What do you mean in terms of favorite? Like the one that I think is the funniest, or the one that makes me the happiest? The one that makes you the happiest. I, I'll tell you Honest, mine. What you think? I I have it narrowed down to two, but you can go ahead. My number one comp that I think is just amazing. Greg Bird's number one comp is Mo Vaughn. That's pretty darn awesome. If Greg Bird ends, Greg Bird ends up as Mo Vaughn, like we, you know, we can take it to the bank. Yeah, he was he was one of my two. My other one, and this is one that I I don't know how much people will know him, but uh, I liked Aaron Judge being comp to Jesse Barfield. Yeah, it's pretty good. Jesse Barfield was, I think he might have snuck in and won an MVP one year. The year he had forty home runs, but. Jesse Barfield was a pretty good player for – he didn't have a super long peak. He was only really good for like five or six years. Um, and by the time he got to the Yankees, he was a little bit past his prime. But, you know, for Jesse Barfield's career, he had a 117 WRC plus and he was a 256, 335, 466 slasher. So, I mean, I hey, could – I would take that. You can see where where the comp comes in too, right? Because he, he had a, he was really good on defense, Jesse Barfield. Yeah. And then when he when he hit, I mean, he you know he hit for a medium to low average with lots and lots of power. And I think that's the best case scenario for Aaron Judge. Jesse Barfield had two seven win seasons yep. and three more four plus win seasons according to FanGraphs. That's pretty damn good. I mean, if yeah, Jesse Barfield that that explains why. Zips has a very positive projection um, uh, for Aaron Judge, probably more positive than I would take. Yeah, and the thing with Barfield is too that you see with Judge, it's the years where he's making more contact and hitting 280 where his value just explodes. And that's, I think, what we're going to need to distinguish, you know, Aaron Judge from somebody who we mentioned before we started recording, like Chris Carter. And I think we've mentioned uh, on the podcast before. Yeah, so what do we want to do with these projections? Do we want to, we want to, Go through them one by one. Do we want to do some over unders? Uh, I think over unders probably make sense, but I think the most fun way to do it, even though it's you know the the old joke about it being bad radio with us scrolling through quickly. Why don't yeah. we each just take a couple of pitchers and a couple of hitters and say the number that stands out to us, 
and sure. we can discuss whether you'd go over or under. Sure, I can do that. Uh, do you want to go first since you're more familiar with them than me? Or Sure, I'll go first. Yeah, I've been looking through these all day and uh, uh, my favorite right here uh, is we've got – uh, the one that my, – my one under that I'm going to be a little pessimistic about because we just talked about him is Aaron Judge, currently projected at 30 home runs if he, if he gets 522 plate appearances. And I mean, it's fascinating that that um, that the, the the raw power potential that Aaron Judge has is picked up in a, a system like Zips, um, because Aaron Judge has always been had decent power in the minors, but up until his most recent stint at AAA, he hasn't really you know really shown it in, in in anything other than batting practice. I don't think that Zips also knows that Aaron Judge is six ten or six eight, whatever he is. Um, so that, that, to me, that's very that's fascinating. I think if he, I think thirty home runs would be a miracle for Aaron Judge next season. I'm a bit of an Aaron Judge pessimist, um, but um, Zips thinks that Aaron Judge's 19 home runs in 93 games at AAA this year, which is a, a more than a 30 home run pace, um, is legit, and I'm cool with that. I think if 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 that's the if that's what happens, um, I think the Yankees are a playoff team or could be a playoff team. I think the reason that I would take the under with you as well is because I just don't see Aaron Judge getting that much playing time if he's hitting 220 and striking out in more than a third of his plate appearances, which is why. Yeah, but if you say the home runs, I think that, I mean, the Yankees don't have a lot of other choices at this at the, at the moment. I see, but I think if I think if Clint Frazier starts mm-hmm. forcing the issue at AAA, I could see the Yankees kind of being stuck between a rock and a hard place trying to get playing time for both. And I also would not be shocked if Judge spent a little more time to start the season in the minors than people are expecting right now. So what do you think about Clint Frazier's Zips projection? I mean, it's not very good. He's got a, he's projected at like 240, 300, 430. Yeah, that was actually going to be – that was going to be the first one that I brought up. Um, I buy it completely. And I know that doesn't really lend itself to over-unders or things, but that just strikes me as the sort of line that you'd see from a player like Clint Frazier, who's had an adjustment period at each level and, you know, just is generally less experienced and younger and um, just very aggressive. He's He's not a hacker. He doesn't really have a bad approach at the plate, but he's always very aggressive and he has a, he has kind of a see ball hit ball approach. And that's the sort of thing that I think could hurt you a lot in your first stint in the majors. Yeah. I mean, everybody talks about how he has a, a high baseball IQ, how he's a cage rat, how he does all these things, but for, and how he has incredible bat speed, but also that he has a terrible swing. Uh, and then he needs to, at some point, stop relying on his physical skills and his just kind of cleverness and fix his damn swing. Uh, that clearly didn't happen at AAA last year. Um, you know, he he wasn't good at AAA last year. He was pretty good at AA. He wasn't good at AAA. I, I don't think he sees a lot of playing time next year, honestly. I think next year is the year for Aaron Judge and, you know, and et cetera, and see if maybe, and, you know, Aaron Hicks and, and all of those guys. Um, so I, I'm, I'm taking essentially the under in that projection just because I don't think, I don't think in, if he's going to hit like that, he's not, I don't think he's going to play. There's no reason if he's going to hit, you know, if he's going to have a, a an, an OPS plus of, well, you know, 95 or whatever that's projected, he's projected at, um, you know, if, uh, 102, if he's going to have a 102 OPS plus, you know, I think that, uh, he sets a triple A. 
Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to be in for like an interesting season to see how much these guys end up playing. Mm. Because I don't... I guess I just don't know. I mean, the Yankees were clearly ready to hand playing time to Aaron Judge before he got hurt. But, you know, and then Tyler Austin was swinging a good bat and started benching him for Billy Butler. So I guess I just I just don't know what this season's going to bring yet, which is why, like I said, I'm not sure about Judge getting the plate appearances. And even if it's not Frazier, I just don't know what the Yankees will do. Yeah, um, I think we we basically agree there. I, I got my next one, and I think that this is this is it sounds like a like it's going to sound like a like small potatoes, but I actually think it's kind of important to think about. And that's Kyle Higashioka. Um, yep, Kyle, Higashioka is projected right now at a one point three wins in you know about half a season of playing time. Um, you know, he's projected to be a, you know, a pretty good hitter. I'm just kind of scrolling over those hitting stats right now. You know, 245, 286, 418. Not great, but basically what Clint Frazier is, uh, um, is, is projected at, just slightly below average. Um, and, you know, as, as far as I know, I think he's a pretty good defender. Austin Roma, on the other hand, is, is projected worse. He's projected essentially as replacement level. And, you know, given that, you know, I think that extra win, win and a half over, over the season, or even more if, you know, if, say, Gary Sanchez were to, God forbid, get injured, uh, I think it's a big deal. And I think the Yankees should give some serious thought to Hikashioka playing, becoming the full-time backup catcher. I like Austin Romine. I have a long-time attachment to Austin Romine just because I was covering minor league baseball quite a lot when he was drafted, and he's been with the organization forever. But I think he's very expendable. I think there's a lot of backup catchers out there, a lot like Austin Romine, that you could sit at AAA. And if you pass him through waivers, he might not even get claimed. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to disagree with that, I think. And especially because, you know, they'd have more team control over Higashioka, so it's like you might as well use the better one now. And, you know, if you can get something of value for Romine because some team might jump on him having that major league experience could be worth moving him too, not even just, you know, having him in the minors. Yeah, he's two years younger. He's on the 40-man roster already. Um, and the Yankees, I believe, if I remember correctly, just signed some minor league catcher, some no-name minor league catcher um, to play at AAA. So like, they, they have some depth and they can acquire more depth. Um, I know it kind of sucks to get rid of depth because you're kind of placing a lot of eggs and in, in not having like an emergency. Um, but I, I just don't I, – I think the Yankees can take it. I, I think it's at this point – it's worth uh, just going for the for the upside. What the, what's the downside? He's he's just as good as Romine. I mean, um, Romine. You know, Higashioka is, is a long time minor league catcher. He has experience catching, and you know, there's some real upside there. He could be better than just a backup catcher. He could be a guy who hits twenty home runs if he were given full playing time. Yeah, and I mean, he was a catcher that people liked. He was a prospect. Then he got hurt. He struggled, and he just ended up falling behind. Romine and Sanchez and Montero back in the day, but he was a legitimate prospect and he, um, he had, you know, those dreaded wrist and hand injuries that sap you of power for a while. So even if we don't, something too, excuse me, I think he had Tommy John too, at some point, uh, are you thinking of Luis, Luis Torrens? Uh, no, I think I think I think Hikashioka missed a full season for something. It's not not a big deal. Essentially, he he's not as he's old, but he hasn't been hanging around, just hanging around for as long as it seems. Yeah, I'm looking through it now. It looks like he pretty much didn't play in 2013, 
he played seven games. And then and in 2014, he only played 20-something, so... Yeah, so there, I forget what it was. I think it might have been Tommy John or something, or some serious injury along those lines. Um, you know, it cut out a couple of years of his career. Catchers developed slowly, and he's still only 26 years old. One thing that I was interested in, um, I don't think it would be big in one way or the other, but Zips basically sees Didi Gregorius's power bump just disappearing and mm-hmm. fading back towards his career norms. They still see him with 15 home runs. But 15 home runs is what his two seasons before joining the Yankees prorate to over a full season, just about. So I I think Didi Gregorius's home run outburst was for real. Because I remember when we looked at this towards the end of the season, most of his home runs based on uh, ESPN's home run tracker were legitimate home runs. I think he only had one or two that qualified as purely lucky like just enough wall scrapers. Um, And his power was consistent throughout the year. So it's not like it was, you know, he had eight home runs in one month and then never hit three in another. Um, I mean, he had 11 in the first half, nine in the second half and the second half shorter. So I, I think the power is real. Um, And I wouldn't be, I might actually be surprised if he didn't end up with another 20 home run season, especially with the story, juice ball. Yeah. The juice ball, I think is a story, right? Zips has no idea about the juice ball. Zips probably knows that like home run rates went up over the last year. Um, but the weird, you know, it probably knows that league wide they went up, but the weird, um, you know, middle infielder thing, which I've hypothesized in you guys, you can read a post in the blog I read earlier this week, um, updating this is just about launch angle. That there are certain types of launch angles where uh, a two to three mile per hour boost in, um, in 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 exit velocity, which is essentially what happened when you juice the ball, at least what we can measure. Um, that that that's relatively small boost um, doesn't do a lot for a guy with a big uppercut swing or a guy like Mark Mark Trumbo who kind of just you know swings as hard as he can every time. But for a line drive hitter, someone like Didi Gregorius or Gary Sanchez, it matters a lot more. And so I think that the juice ball specifically benefits a guy like Didi Gregorius, which is why we saw a huge surge in shortstop and second baseman um, home runs last year, but not a big surge in big sluggers hitting home runs. Um, in fact, I think big sluggers did worse than they've done in, in forever, in a long time. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I would bet, I would take the over on Gregorius' home runs. I also think it's interesting that they have him and uh, Starling Castro backsliding a little bit. I know it's I'm guessing it's because it has to be with their comparisons to middle infielders and everything but you know they have Aaron Judge's isolated slugging blowing away what he did in the majors and the minors last year. So it does make me wonder too if it if it really is factoring in something with scouting because Aaron Judge's ISO across between uh, at AAA was 219 and they have it at 244 in the majors. Remember the the run environments are very different between AAA and the majors, right? So, uh, you know, Aaron Judge had a tough home park to, to hit in, and, and he, you know, the, I, I'm looking it up right now, but the, um, the the runs per game in in AAA were just much lower than the majors, even before the juice ball. That was the case, but with the juice ball, it got even worse. Um, so, you know, I think I think that's what what is essentially going on there. But they also might Zips might be projecting some growth. Um, if it has scouting info, maybe I'm assuming it just has like height and weight and that kind of stuff. 
Um, but well, while no, we're like I said, about it was it was one sixty seven in the majors last year, so they're predicting yeah. almost an eighty point bump in ISO. That's yeah. That's I mean it, again, it's, that, that's more optimistic than I am. So you know, um, I I don't know where it's getting at getting that, but I I would still be shocked if it, if it um, if if it had really any scouting information in it because if you think about it, you have to have scouting information on a lot of players to to pull this off. Um, but take, while we're talking about Starling Castro, though, take a look at his number one comp. His number one comp is Jesse Barfield, which is it's which Brett is fast. Boone. Oh, it's Brett Boone. Oh, Jesse Barfield is Aaron Judge. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's Brett Boone. Well, okay. Well, I think the lesson of that is is that Starlin Castro needs to take some major steroids because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what Brett Boone did. He went from being a crappy player to having like a nine win season or something in 2002 or three. Um, yeah, from 2001 yeah. to 2003, he had just under 20 wins across three seasons. <laughs> and he hit 37, 24, and 35 home runs. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he was out of baseball two years later. Just bring out the syringes, guys. That's that's what we need for Starling Castro. Um, yeah. Uh, that's not a great comp. Because um, I, don't, I don't think you can – I mean, yes, Brett Boone had some latent ability that Sturridge were able to highlight. But uh, before that, he was not a good player. Um, even, and even if he had, you know – most people thought Brad Boone was a pretty good defender too at the time. Um, so yeah, I think Starling Castro is an interesting one. Um, I'm going. I want to talk a little bit about Gary Sanchez, um, my you know favorite player at the moment. Uh, Gary Sanchez is currently projected a 120 OPS plus, a four WAR, in about 500 play appearances, which is a little bit under full time for a catcher, but not too far away. Uh, 255, 313, 490. It's an interesting batting line. Um, Zips has them at 27 home runs. Him at 27 home runs in a relatively small amount of time. So that's like a 35, 36 home run pace um, if he plays a full season. Uh, it's it's impressive. Like I shouldn't be asking for more than a 490 slugging percentage, but I feel like Gary Sanchez can do better. I I honestly don't know how I feel about it because, I mean, the, the first thing that stood out to me is that um, they're basically going with his – uh, his walk rate between double A and triple A mm-hmm. as opposed to the boosted walk rate he had in the majors. But I don't know if they're saying that's because when he came up so hot, people were pitching around him. So that's going to come back down to earth a little bit. But I think if we adjust our expectations to be a little bit more realistic with how we see most rookies do, and you know, they're going to come in with a different playbook for Gary Sanchez this year. So it's going to be a battle of adjustments but I think the first point I would make is that I would be absolutely thrilled if he hit that over a full season because he's still, you know, a 24-year-old catcher with a four-win season and hopefully improvements to make. But it's also right within the range of what he did in his second month. He hit 225, 314, 520. So this is basically taking some walks away and swapping them out for hits. Um, and I don't know. I, th- I think I, I think I agree. I think the slugging might be a bit light, but when you look at the isolated slugging at 235, which is has to be in the elite range for a, a catcher, if not for a hitter in general, uh, looking right now, yeah, that would have tied him for 26th in the majors last year. 
235 slugging per, uh, ISO. So there's still. I think you're sh- right that if, if I were if I were a betting man, I would take it. But I think that strikeout rate can come down. That's to me what, what stands out. What was his? I'm actually I'm bouncing back. Sorry for the uh, the bouncing around. His strikeout rate. Twenty-three percent. Right. Yeah, and I mean, there again. It. Ha- I wonder how much of it they're how they're weighting it based on month to month breakdowns, if at all, because he struck out almost just under thirty percent of the time in September. Yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, I don't. I don't think he has a big enough sample to really divide it up that much. Um, I mean, that's basically yeah. that. I mean, if you want to say it that way, it's it's right in line with what he did in the majors overall last year. So they're basically saying he's going to keep the strikeouts and lose some of the walks. Yeah, I, I, which I, I think, think you could see from a young player. I think that's reasonable. I think you could, but I think his minor league track record suggests, especially his, his 2016 AAA, that he he can he he has the ability to to be a, like a plus contact hitter. Um, yeah, I mean and, his walk rate, his strikeout rates since he reached Double A were always better than league average. Yeah, he was he had a 14 percent strikeout rate at Triple A in, in 2016. That's great. That's a very strong strikeout rate. That's elite. Um, that's elite for him. That's elite. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and again, I, I the math that I've done suggests that you take that and you you put it in a major league environment with a juice ball, and his AAA line looks like pretty close to, um, you know, not not what he did last season, which was amazing, but like the like the normal version of what he did last season, which is like a a low five hundred slugging percentage. You know, hitting 300 or hitting 285 or something like that. You know, Zips has him down in the 250 range, which to me I think is just is is on the low end of what I project. If if I'm a again, if I'm a betting man and you give me the choice between like taking 215, 313, 490, or rolling the dice, I'm almost ready to roll the dice. I can't fault you, but I think it's I think it's definitely a toss up. But like I said, I I'd be very happy with that. I mean, yeah, look, four wind, four war, and five hundred play appearances is amazing, right? Like that. That's that is uh, that's a superstar, basically. I mean, especially since you can probably project a little bit more. Uh, you know, the the all the all the players who qualified for the batting title had about fifty to one hundred more play appearances than than that, and only Jonathan Lucroy had more than four wins. So I mean, that's yeah, that's really good. I mean, we're, we're, they're projecting him to be really good, um, but I do think that there's room to grow there. So for the last hitter, I wanted to bring up Greg Bird again. You threw out the Movon comp earlier. Uh, they have him at 234, 307, 449, which comes out to be a 109, a 108 OPS plus. And they have him at a 0.8 war, but that's largely a product of him being a first baseman who, by all accounts, isn't a good defensive first baseman. Uh Uzer did Uz, wow Uzer Uzer didn't like him when he was up in a uh, 2015, and him only having 397 plate appearances. Uh, I think Bird is a better hitter than that. I think a 108 OPS plus is light, but in my mind, I'm just I just know that I'm not adjusting for him missing an entire season and having all of 78 plate appearances in the Arizona Fall League. So maybe I'm not factoring in enough rust mentally, and that's perfectly reasonable. But I think I think if you're going to pick between him and Sanchez being too low, 
I'd, I'd take Bird over Sancho's. Yeah, I agree there. I think I think the twenty eight percent strikeout rate that Zips is projecting is way high. I'm looking at Steamer right now. Steamer is the Fangraphs projection system, um, and they're they're at two. They're, they're projecting a twenty two percent strikeout rate with a ten percent walk rate, two sixty three, three forty three, four eighty six. That sounds like Greg Bird to me, um, and it sounds pretty damn good to me too. I mean, that's that's better than like Brandon Belt. Um, so you know, and that, and still, even with bad defense, that's not even two wins. Uh, which just tells you something about first base, um, but yeah, I think I think that's what I would. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that, well. I'm sorry. That's it's one still half a wins, season. Yeah, half season. Yeah, so that's that's above average. Um, and I think that 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 is, I think, Greg Bird. Um, so yeah, I would totally totally buy the over big time uh, on that. Yeah, I mean, even if I discounted Steamer a bit and dropped it to like you know two fifty three thirty four seventy or something. I still think that's a much more accurate picture than Zips is seeing. But again, it's it's hard for us to mentally adjust for a player missing an entire season because it's just such an unknown. And there's been a lot of writing about what happened with hitters coming off of similar surgeries. And you have somebody like Brian McCann, who essentially came back unaffected, and Adrian Gonzalez, who essentially came back unaffected, and Matt Kemp, who essentially came back as a completely different hitter, but was recovered a season later. So, oh no, sorry, Kemp, Kemp was unaffected. Adrian Gonzalez needed a year to recover. So it's it's kind of sketchy trying to compare him to other players because you have two success stories and one guy who was basically put on hold for a year. I'd be much more concerned if the Yankees like were making any effort to go out and get a first baseman, but they uh, they they have no real plan B other than Tyler Austin. Uh, on the roster, and so they clearly have confidence in him. They they like they they say publicly they like what they saw in the Arizona Fall League. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm I'm buying stock in both. In both. All right, so moving on to pitchers, um, the guy that jumps out to me right away, who is somebody that we have talked about almost ad nauseum, is uh, Michael Pineda, mm. largely because they. Uh, I mean, they basically love him. Um, they have this as his best season by FIP. And uh, his, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know what I could look at to say that this would be his best season. It's just, it's surprising yeah. to me. It excites me. To see him, you know, having uh, the well, I'm going by park adjusted FIP. I didn't compare it to his actual FIPs, but um, yeah, they have it as his best FIP for a full season, his best park adjusted FIP, and the WAR doesn't seem to match that. But I think Sims WAR isn't Fangraphs WAR, so it would probably be his career best WAR too. Then, but they're looking at him to post you know, strikeout and walk rates that are better than his career norms and basically just rediscover the pitcher he was in 2014. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. I don't want to you know, belabor the point on, on Pineda. It is interesting that they, they're projecting a FIP ERA mismatch. Um, so even given that mismatch, they think he can be pretty good. So, you know, some of the, the, the difference between the two is walk. Some of it is, is ability. The They're kind of splitting the difference. For what it's worth, the FIP ERA mismatch is almost equal to the career rate 
for his career, his ERA is uh, a little bit more than half a run higher than his ERA, and they have this as a little bit higher than half a run higher than his fifth. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is, um, I think that's a, a fair way to go about it. I think that's about what I expect. I think the, the projections probably about right on the money, and that's above average. He's projected to be an above average to bet, to even better pitcher. Um, you know, better than CC Sabathia was last season. And uh, again, if, if the Yankees get that out of Pineda, that's one of those things that, that has to happen for them to be a playoff team. Yeah. Yeah, that would be huge. They also compare him to Kevin Tappany, who <laughs> does nothing for me. I just happen to remember his name and that he pitched for the Twins and I think the Cubs. It's just a funny name, Tappany. So I, I want, I'm, I'm going through here and looking at these projections, and I'm just going to talk about a, uh, uh, a, a, a my, my favorite comp on the pitcher list, which is Araldis Chapman. Araldis Chapman is, is you know, you know, he's projected to have a very good season. Uh, he's projected to be one of the best closers in, closers in baseball, and his number one comp is Billy Wagner, more deserving of the Hall of Fame than Trevor Hoffman. Um, so let's hope that he has a Billy hat. I think Billy Wagner had a really productive second half of his, of his career, right? I'm just looking right now. At yeah, Billy Wagner walked away after what was arguably his best season. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember thinking, like, what the hell? You, you, why are you? Why aren't you still playing? You're still good. Yeah, I, his contract yeah. expired and he retired. But yeah, I, um, I pulled it up in his last season. He had a 1.43 ERA and a 2.2 WAR by Fangraphs measure. Struck out 13 and a half per nine. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah, a beast. He, he had a weird career. You know, he was really dominant in basically over the, the, the course of um, of the Billy, of the Araldus Chapman contract. Um, he was really, really good from like you know, age 29 uh, until it looks like about 36, um, which I think is a great comp for, for Araldus Chapman. I mean, I think a lot like him is that uh, Wagner had a ton of velocity, especially for back in the day, and kind of poor control. And then he kind of got his control under uh, under uh, under control. That, that's terrible. He started he walked started walking fewer people, and uh, and and started pitching some real innings, and uh, became one of the better closers in the in, in the game. So I mean, really, you know, if you look at his career, Wagner's if you throw out two thousand when he was hurt. He never had he. I mean, two thousand was his only bad season. Yeah, it's true. But I think he. If you look, I'm just looking at his strikeout walk rates. He definitely got better um, at at like the basic, just you know, at, at just the controlling the strike zone over time. Um, so yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, it was yeah from 1999 forward, basically, except for that injury lost season, he was walking significantly fewer batters. Yeah. So let's let's cross our fingers and hope that uh, that comp is accurate. Billy Wagner. I was actually kind of interested by uh, it was the comp for um, Giovanni Galagos. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned him a couple of times as being somebody that just like appeared in the Yankees farm system and we didn't know who he was, but he had amazing numbers. And the comp for him is Pat Neshek. And Pat Neshek has been a pretty good middle reliever for quite some time now. He's never been great. But, I mean, he's been pitching for a decade now. He has a 2.93 ERA for his career, like a three and a half to one strikeout to walk rate. And he's still going strong at 36 years old. And 
If the Yankees have a guy like that with six years of team control, that's one of the things that makes you hopeful that they could continue to build good bullpens in perpetuity. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I think that um, you know, Pat Neshek is, is one of those players, kind of like Joaquin Benoit, I think is kind of a good a good comp, where you know he's, he just goes for a long period of time with great ERAs, and you know it, it kind of gets hidden as a 7th or 8th inning guy, but it's probably better than a lot of closers out there. So yeah, I think that's great. And I, I was trying to write a post on uh, some of these Yankee relievers who kind of came on the radar, like Galagas, uh, Galagas, uh, in the middle of the season. I couldn't find scouting reports. Like, like I, I think for him, I found a scouting report from like four years ago, and it was like, hey, he throws in the low 90s, and he's kind of good at stuff. And that was it. Yeah, he's, um, a, he's a right-handed reliever that throws a slider and a fastball. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's all I got. Like, I, I couldn't find any more information about the guy. Um, and uh, and the Yankees have a bunch of guys like that who have these crazy stats and are on the 40-man roster and are probably going to be in the majors this year, and I have no idea who they are. Um, so it will be interesting to see him come up. I'm excited to see him. I think, you know, the Yankees cleared off a lot of guys who kind of had that profile, good stats, okay stuff, not a lot known about them, and, like, the Nick Goodies of the world didn't do too well in the majors. So now they get another shot at to audition a bunch of guys, and eventually a few will work. Um, one thing I love is we have three prospects who have, whose number one comp is Josh Banks, um, which is a little bit weird uh, and not good because he sucked. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember there was a point in time where everybody thought like Josh Banks would be legit, uh, and he was not. Um, you know, so th- those those are Ben Heller, uh, which I had more hope for Ben Heller than that. Mark Montgomery, J.P. Fayerston. Uh, um, so good luck there, uh, all of those guys. Um, yeah, the, I think the pitcher comps. The pitcher comps are uh, significantly less encouraging than the hitter comps, except for, um, you know, Billy Wagner, like you said, maybe Pat Neshek, but... We knew that, though. I mean, that, that's yeah. expected, right? I mean, these, these are not good pitchers. Um, you know, Although I, I guess Chris Basio is interesting for Masiero Tanaka, because pulling up Chris Basio's page, Basio was kind of inconsistent, but he's better than I remember him being. I mean, I'm a little less, less um, optimistic about it just because I know that there's only two – there's two options for Tanaka. He's good and he leaves or he's bad and he stays. And, uh, you know, neither you know, really matter that much long term. I think Tanaka is going to be just about what he was last year, this year, um, which means he's going to leave. Um, it's kind of weird. You have to be hoping for him to leave, right? Like there's no, there's no world other than like – a great depression or something where or a massive recession uh, where like where, you know, there's, there's a good outcome for Tanaka and he's, he's still under contract and doesn't opt out. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. It, unless he's just really feeling charitable or something. I don't know. Um, so and then yeah, I guess the last thing, interesting cop there. Mm-hmm. I guess the last one to talk about would be CC Sabathia who, yeah. z- uh, Zips basically has turning back into the guy he was in 2015, which isn't the worst incarnation of CC Sabathia, but it's a big step down from last year. I mean, Sabathia got by last year, I think, with the best weak contact rate in the majors, I believe. And um, that's great. I mean, that's one way to be a good pitcher, but you know, it's something that's probably a little less reliable than if he had the best strikeout rate in the majors, like Michael Pineda. Um <laughs> So maybe I'm just you know, I'm wrong, um, but yeah, I I I think we have reason to be pessimistic about about Sabathia. 
Um, but, you know, I still think he was the Major League Comeback Player of the Year last year, even if the voters were dumb. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching him for one more season. I like CC. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with him because I think, you know, this time next year, if he has another season like he did in 2016, all of a sudden you're talking about how how many years are you going to give to a 37-year-old CC Sabathia to eat innings in the middle of the rotation or the back of the rotation? Or, you know, are we going to say, hey, see you later, CeCe. Thanks for, thanks for eight years. Yeah, I could see the Yankees bringing him back, you know, if, if that's the case. Um, you know, if he essentially reinvents himself there. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking that far ahead. The Yankees are going to need pitchers a year from now. They're going to need a lot of pitchers a year from now. Uh, they, they currently have zero pitchers under guaranteed contract for 2018. Maybe like you know, if you start, you can start counting the rookies, the Severinos, the Sesas, the Chad Greens. Yeah, and those are all like under control. But I also don't think there's any guarantee that they're in in a major league rotation anywhere six months from now. Agreed. Should be fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's hope. But uh, I guess that's we actually went a little bit longer than I thought we'd go tonight. So yeah, we got 48 uh, minutes out of Zips. Let's yeah, do it's good. let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, hopefully we'll have some news to talk about next time around, but uh, I don't know. If not, we'll have to make something up. EJ, what can we what can we make up? Or should we hey, ask hey, those of you who are still listening to give us some topics? Yeah, if you guys can send us, send us topics, that might prevent us from doing the, uh, the the Scott session on minor league labor law, which I kind of am excited for. But, yeah, I'm uh, really I excited. How, 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 if you guys wanted to do minor league labor law, don't send us anything. <laughs> and we'll uh maybe we'll post a call call for questions on the blog too but until next time have a good night oh, everybody one, one real quick oh. thing actually dominic for anybody reading this uh we're looking for some more writers uh on our blog um i think it's no secret that we used to have a lot more people writing for for it's about the money than we do now um we put a, a post up online if you guys are interested go to the contact form at, uh, on it's about the money.net i'm not sure we have that many listeners who don't also read the blog but we might um, let us know. We're looking for people you know, who have some writing skills, but you know, we're, we're open to considering anybody who's never blogged you know, about baseball anywhere before. Um, send us uh, on the contact form. Send us a, uh, an email. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, if you can include some kind of short writing sample, something that would be a blog post. Yeah, the, the, more, the more applications, the merrier. So don't hesitate. We want to hear from you and we really do want to add writers. So. And, and, and people on the podcast too. I mean, I don't think we're looking to add people just for the podcast, but um, you know, I think anybody who'd like to come on the podcast, um, you know, we're definitely open to that too. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because as you can notice, there's only two of us here, and at some point we're going to run out of ideas. Um, and uh, you know, Scott and Stacy and the two of us aren't always aren't always busy, so we got to get to that minimum threshold of uh, people. Right. So, are we ready to say good night? Ready. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.